I'm James. And I'm Andy. And we host the Broadway Boys Podcast on the Hockey Podcast Network. Every Monday we talk New York Rangers, news from around the league, and all aspects of the hockey lifestyle. It's all power play goal! It's never been a better time to be a Rangers fan, so tune in and join us as we break down games, prospects, rumors, and more as we follow the Blue Shirts on their quest towards the Stanley Cup. Our takes are all our own. And not always legally binding. But you're not going to want to miss all the guests, rants, speculation, and the occasional overreaction. He goes to the net. He scores! He scores! The Rangers win! Be sure to follow us on Twitter, at Broadway Boys Pod, and catch new episodes every Monday morning on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and more. And this one will last a lifetime! So what are you waiting for? Subscribe, follow, and listen to the Broadway Boys Podcast today. And be sure to check out all the exciting content on the Hockey Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to Tales with TR. I'm your host, Terry Ryan, uh, hence TR, and I don't know how long it's been. I've been, I don't even know what episode this is. I, uh, I've been so busy. I had my computer here. I'll get into that in a second, but I have my computer because I'm editing my a new book, which is coming out, I believe, October 2nd, but it could be slightly before that with Flanker Press called Tales with Tierra, Fights, Film, and Folklore. In any case, in any case, I'll tell you about that in a second, but I'm on the fly here. I, uh, I'm on my way down to Turkey Joe or TJ's patio, as we changed the name to this summer, and I've been, I've been uh, working there doing events, promotions, and managing whatever it might be, me and uh, a few of us, Eric Lopez, and uh, Jeremy Barron. <clears throat> so, of course, uh, and Stephen Hancock. So I've been doing that, but I've had had a book deadline and I've been getting some days on uh, some TV shows, uh, mostly Hudson and Rex. We have another one coming called The Surrealter. I had a couple of days on there, but I've been doing background and working on the crew and those are long days. So I just haven't had a chance since, you know, everybody's life kind of got derailed in some form or another uh, on a scale of one to 10. Mine was a, a six or a seven, I suppose, but uh, most of that had to do with just employment and stuff, but I uh, figured it out and now doing a bunch of stuff. Um, that's being managing, uh, or helping to manage. There's a team of us, uh, TJ's downtown, um, um, you know, Turkey Joe's, but we changed the name to TJ's just to give it a little bit of a, of a do over and uh, we renovated it and it's going awesome. We've had all kinds of success with it this summer. Here's Princess again. Hi, Princess. Um, and yeah, so, you know, and that's, 
I, I got to say, let's just start with uh, Turkey Joe's, uh, TJ's. The summer has been, you know, it's been wildly successful as, as from, from what our expectations were. Um, we changed it up quite a bit from what it used to be, uh, which, you know, it, it's gone in cycles, but we really, uh, you know, we really concentrated on having some great drinks. We got a few great cocktail waiters and waitresses. Uh, we've had reggae night. We've had Latino night. We've had comedy night. We've had, um, oh God, Caribbean night the other night. Uh, we have, you know, live music up there from time to time. So it's very diverse. I got to say, if there's one thing about our bar of the summer, it's diversity in any case. Um, and all that. So, so that's that. And, uh, just, just to explain really briefly how hard that's been, uh, navigating around, you know, we're a bar. We don't really serve food once in a while. I guess if you're on the patio, I'll bring you some over from green sleeves, which is also, you know, turkeys falls under the green sleeves umbrella, but, you know, so yeah, for the most part, we don't have food snacks, I guess, but, uh, you know, so all these COVID rules and, and again, in Newfoundland, I know most of you are listening, not from Newfoundland, but from outside of here somewhere, whether it be Canada, you know, North America, all over the world, really. I mean, it's a podcast. It's accessible. But, you know, for so I don't know where you're listening from, but for Newfoundland, it's unique because we don't have that many cases. Uh, and ones that we've had, other than right at the beginning, maybe three or four months ago, there was a cluster in a funeral home. Other, the, the recent ones we have are like people traveling to work in Alberta or overseas. with, And, and they don't really... They haven't penetrated the population. So we've, for the most of the time that we've been going through this, for the, for the summer at least, we've had no cases. Um, if not, we've had one or two isolated cases that we know about. So it's a different animal because in the back of everybody's mind, we don't have any cases and we want to live. But on the other side, if one or two did come in and penetrate the population, it'd take off right away. So I understand the reason for the precautions, but they're tough when you're running a bar because, you know, for example, now everybody got to wear a mask unless you're moving. It's easy enough when you're sitting down at a restaurant, green sleeves is just across the street, got live music, but it's mostly tables, people sitting down ordering wings or whatever, having a beer. It's a little easier to navigate than, you know, essentially in a bar, you've got to have your mask on most of the time. If you're moving, you can sit down, TJ's again, We do have tables and we do have chairs, but most people that come in on a Friday or Saturday aren't sitting down. So you got the patio, which you don't have to have your mask on, but you can't congregate too close to each other. And, you know, you got to try to keep that social distance. But then again, there's a bar and it's a patio and there's live music or there's a DJ or whatever that might be. It's just real tough. It's real tough. And uh, not only that, we're on the famous George Street in St. John's, but on Water Street right behind us is what they did. They shut down traffic for the summer, uh, street traffic, and just made it uh, pedestrian traffic, which is great. And all the restaurants which don't normally have patios and decks, and I mean like a dozen of them or more, now do. And uh, so people have been walking around. So they, they canceled events like our St. John's Regatta, the oldest uh, running sporting event in North America. It goes back almost 200 years, I think. Um, 
but we cancel that, for example. But every day on on Water Street is similar to the Gata because people love it. So you know, there's people down there with no masks. With, I mean, almost shoulder to shoulder. And I get it; it's great, but it, it's tough to have these crazy rules one street over because we get a spotlight on us being a bar and being George Street and you know the party place that everybody's kind of keeping a, keeping an eye on. But meanwhile, right behind us, Water Street's beautiful too. The I, I must be the oldest city in North America. If we're the oldest, uh, or sorry, oldest street. If we're the oldest city, being St. John's. You'd have to think that the oldest street in St. John's and I think is Water Street. Again, I could just do my research, but I'll leave that to you guys today because I am in a fucking rush. I realized I hadn't done one of these in like a month. I want to keep doing them. It's been a bad time because I've been so busy. So anyway, look up the research on your own. Um, now, uh, so as far as the book, so this is what happens. So my new book is called Tales with TR, Fights, Film, and Folklore, Okay. Now, how will I explain this first? So I had, I had basically half at least, probably three quarters of a book written because what I do, I go into Memorial University, which isn't far from my house, 10 or 15 minutes, if that. So I go in there and I do my writing. I never like to do it at home. I, I, I do my podcast at home really usually because of the quiet, uh, I got Wi-Fi here, but I don't like doing my research uh, for my book or even there are only really journals. I get, or and that being said, uh, for the podcast, and sometimes I do have to do research, right? Like if it's someone like Maggie Connors, I had a couple of uh, episodes ago, great from Newfoundland. I, I know to watch Maggie. I know she played at Princeton, but I didn't know much else. So most people I have on here are good friends. I don't really need to do much research. And that's probably why I take the lazy route that I have them on. But some I do. So I just hate doing it here in, in, in my house. So I usually go into Munn and I do that stuff. Munn being Memorial University um, of Newfoundland. So, and what happens is that, I, you know, I graduated in 2013 with the infamous folklore degree, right? But I have taken a course here or there since. And I, you know, for knowledge more than anything. and. I like they have an area of the commons and you, you know, you can go in and work on a computer and all your things that you save at memorials that stay on that computer. And to me, it's just, it's in my mind, it's lock and key. It's right in there. It's in memorial. I can access it whenever I want from memorial, go to the computer. COVID happened. So I didn't see this happening. So here I did. I, I had a book deal with ECW a couple of years ago and that's a long story. We had a falling out. Um, a lot of it was, was, to do with my agent and you know again i i don't i, I have nothing against my agent uh, you can look into that too i don't want to talk about him here but, but, you know we had a bit of a falling out but there there was uh reasons for it and uh whatever disagreement we've we've had i i, I certainly look past that but but and my relationship with ecw especially michael holmes who gave me an opportunity in the first place so i, I can't really complain but Whatever happened, uh, they'll stay between me and them. But we, uh, yeah, we, we, so I had a contract with them. I guess I could have pursued that, but I didn't want to keep going and with a company that didn't want to, you know, were hesitant about working with me. So I tore up the contract and uh, I didn't know what I was going to do. So I went to Facebook and I just released some of these stories that I had. I wonder if anybody will bite because I, I don't, I didn't want to start calling places or agents or anything. I'm just like, you know, the first book was a bestseller, multiple time bestseller. 
So the chances are if the second one's close, it's going to be close. It has to be. I know I'm going to sell, you know, four. I don't know anything. I know I'm going to sell some of these copies of this book because of people that like the second one. Hence, uh, you know, I wouldn't be doing pre-orders. And I think they're going to be, you know, the, the numbers are going to be pretty healthy in the pre-orders, judging by the comments I'm getting. And, you know, I did, like I said, I released a, a chapter or two or, or maybe even three on Facebook a while ago. But but this is what happened. So Flanker called me from Newfoundland, Flanker Press, good company. Um, my favorite book in the last year that came out by Flanker was Carl English's Chasing a Dream, basketball player. Check that out. And Dale Jarvis, who I work with that one with, with Folklore. Um, he's got a few great ones. I, I could keep going. But anyway, those are my favorites as of now. Dale's multiple. Look into Dale Jarvis, Folklore, King of Newfoundland and Labrador. Um, who's got a plethora of books out at this point, and I believe two or three are from Flanker Press. Check it out. And Carl Inglis is Chasing a Dream. And uh, soon to be, uh, Tales with TR Fights Film and Folklore. But anyway, they phoned, and they, they liked the chapters that I had out there. So that's what usually happens, like with ECW. I didn't show them the whole book, and then they agreed. They, I just showed them two or three chapters. And at that point, you know, it's, they, you know, assume that you're going to, that's your, they like your writing style. They like the content and they assume you're going to finish the book in a professional way that, that, that they like. So really that's, I, I don't know what anybody else's experience is, but for mine, this is the third time because I had to sell my second one twice. I've only had to show, you know, maybe, maybe three chapters, if not two. So anyway, that gets done. I agree with Flanker, but I go back to money. I forget. I'm like, oh, I don't have these on my computer. So I go back and I can't get in. And of course, because it's COVID. So Flank, and I could have, I, I think by this point now, maybe I could have gotten in, although I'm not sure. This was as of like when Flanker called and we signed the deal. It was, I was going to sign the deal. Um, was maybe two months ago. It's just a blur this summer, man. It's, it's a lot of fun, to be honest, the summer's been. Uh, and I'll get into that in a second. But um, yeah, so when they phoned, and read those chapters. And the only reason that I actually had them is because I put them on Facebook. So, but I, I, I copied and pasted them from the MUN computers. So I had this like second kind of tales with, or um, tales of a first round nothing, kind of just a chronological order of stories. And I did, there was enough bulk there that I knew I'd get something from it, but I didn't really know which direction I was going to go. But now I can't get back in. Now I've just sold a book that I think I have written, but I can't get back into MUN for a while and flanker jerry cranford and shauna butler who i worked with uh, so far on flanker you know they're telling me if we get this thing done say by a month in a month from now which was like a month ago it can come out in early fall but if not you know i gotta we gotta wait till next year so then i was like jesus why don't i just and i mean this it was crazy but i said like why don't i just like rewrite the book and so i had a month and I had three chapters, and I, I actually had another one saved from years ago that I had to change the wording a little bit uh, because the person didn't want to be named, and that's fair enough. So I just reused a, a story I was going to use in the first book, changed all the names. So there I had four chapters, but I needed about like 50,000, 60,000 more words. So picture the way it feels for all you students out there, or all you with a deadline or you're at work and you, 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 need, you have an assignment or whatever it might be. You're losing one is a piss off, right? Like if I was in Mun, usually if I had to write a, write a paper, you know, first year or whatever, I don't know, it might be two or 3,000 words, right? You get a little bit, uh, 
later stages of your of your undergrad you know at least i can only speak for undergrad because it's all i have but uh, i have a ba in folklore english so like towards the end of my fourth year um or towards the end of my 40 course slam doesn't have to be your fourth year i guess you, you 40 courses you need for that and you know you're you're getting into your get your degree and some of them might be four or five thousand words and it's not usually more than that uh, at least not when i did and I lost 50 or 60. So, I mean, I was livid. I knew what, livid is the wrong word. I, I absolutely mind blown. And I felt sick to my stomach, nauseated, but I knew if I worked hard, I had this book deal. So now you're wondering why I haven't had to done a podcast. So now I get the call. I'm working more. So I'm at, I'm at TJ's patio, but I'm really at first just doing some promotions for Stephen Hancock, my buddy. And it, it morphed into this enter like, um, what's the word what's the word um institution so it and it has been but this this summer was just wild for a lot of reasons some bars closed down on george street um you know i knew i i would i would take some you know i was working at mill street for a while and i, I know some drinkers downtown i knew i'd take some of my friends in there and i knew if i hired the right people they would bring their friends in there um and then you know you 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 put on some drink deals for certain days of the week. The, the weather had to cooperate. And it was the best summer that I remember ever in Newfoundland. Almost every day there was some level of sun and sometimes it's fog for a month. Um, and, and we often had two or three weeks straight of, of 20 odd degrees. Um, so, so, and I was, and, and so I had to do that. And then I was, I had to finish this book. And then I, I was getting days on Hudson and Rex. Uh, so, you know, if I work locations, say on Hudson and Rex, and that's, you know, making sure that everybody, if you first one there in the morning, make sure that the cars all park fine, the pylons are in place for them to do that, whatever it might be. And then, you know, making sure that people get to the set and know where to go, that while you're doing a, a scene that no one walks into it or drives through it. So you get a block ups on each side. Um, when, when you change angles, taking all the tents and putting them over the Actors, making sure you got the actors' green room kind of outside taken care of with a tent. And then you got to put other tents over the sound and over the cameras in, in most kind of weather. Uh, you know, even if it's sunny, it's often too sunny and warm. So you got to do that, provide some shade. Oh, God. Uh, it's simply fetching things at times. Uh, you know, there's just, it, it's a very busy job and you're expected to be there for, you know, for the for the day, which is, often when you're on locations, 14 or 15 hours. Um, so I was doing those and I did some background days. And, uh, you know, if you're a background actor and you're needed in every scene, then you're there all day. And, and again, you know, you're looking at at least 10, at least the ones I've done so far this summer, uh, you know, 14 or 15 hours often. So, so that was my predicament. So I'm like, here I am, I got to write this book. And I got these jobs that I got to work because no, I, I used to do public speaking and hockey schools and all that's gone. Although I did go to PEI and uh, did a charity golf tournament. And, and, but normally I do a lot more of those because of the Atlantic bubble. Point is, a lot of my livelihood got taken away, right? But I still got to put food on the table and whatever it's going to be, pay the rent. You know the drill. So I took as many days doing as many different things as I could. Hence, no podcast. But if you're wondering how I got the book done, I discovered speech to text. I got word um, on my phone. Well, a Microsoft word, I should say. 
So I just got that on my phone and then I realized I could go speech to text. So then I started thinking, okay, what am I going to do for this book? I look at what I had written. I had a story about Gord Downey. Uh, and I had a story about Jason Momoa and that whole thing about being in Frontier and starting my acting career and all that. And then I had a story about, or a couple stories about, you know, concussions, fights, the physical side of hockey. So that's what I had. And I'm in there bouncing around on set with a, with a walkie in my ear and, and uh, wondering what I'm going to do. But speech to text, speech to text. So then every day at like a break or sometimes if I had to go, say, lock up an area. But lock up, I mean, make sure that no cars drive into it. So if the scene is going on far enough behind me and I don't have my mic on, right, I can do, I can do speech to text while I'm working. Right, just make sure because if we're in Petty Harbor, which we were a couple of those days, and you know there's not much traffic on the go, then I can pull it off. So I'd think to myself, okay, how am I going to separate this book with the stories I have? I'm going to go fights, meaning physical side of the game, film, meaning I'm going to explain about the Jason Momoa and being on Letterkenny and Little Dog and those things and doing stunts, and then a Jerry D, basically entertainment. So the fights is the physical side of hockey. The film is basically entertainment world. And then the folklore is just stories that I wanted to kind of continue with from my first book, like my last NHL shift. Oh, God, playing, um, you know, and, and, and getting to know Shane Corson and Darcy Tucker. Um, God, uh, you know, Planet Hollywood opening. Uh, the Gord, the, meeting Dennis Robin and Carmen Electra, Wesley Snipes and Sporty Spice and on and on and on in Hollywood. That was a pretty big thing. And then, uh, like meeting Gord Downey. So that, that, that I considered the folklore part. I mean, I mean, everything's folklore really. Right. But I mean like stories and anecdotal type stuff. So then I figured I got fights, film, folklore. So every time I had a chance, I mean, I'm driving around the last story I wrote in that book, I wrote, it was called, well, it's the last word. It's a conclusion, and it's about four or five pages long. And I wrote it. I'm not fucking kidding you one bit. In Walmart, shopping. I was getting my groceries. I went up um, to Walmart to get a bunch of stuff. Um, I, it was actually to get some pictures. I went into Walmart, and I wanted to get a bunch of pictures taken off for my wall. And they got that easy Kodak thing over there. Because, uh, you know, I don't know who takes pictures anymore, but I take them on my phone and then, you know, get a collage made put them on the wall once in a while. I don't want too many years to go by before I start losing that. Um, start having gaps in that is what I mean. So anyway, I was up there. I said, I'll go sit, get some groceries. I'm going to be here for a while. I'm not kidding you. I went outside. I had a puff of weed uh, from my one hitter and said, you know, there's no, it was one of those nights. One of the, it was, it was an odd time. It was pouring rain. There was nobody around. So I went in and wrote the final four or five pages of my book as I'm literally like grabbing milk and supplies, whatever, chicken, whatever the fuck I had that day, a full list of groceries, about a pair of shoes, got a bunch of pictures developed. And when I walked out, I had the last chapter done. I wrote another chapter, the chapter on Letterkenny, um, while I was standing uh, in Petty Harbor, uh, kind of helping with the traffic, with the cars that are parking and, and all that on the set of frontier that's when i was doing locations i wrote the darren langdon chapter literally as i was riding my bike down to tj's for a saturday night and uh it takes about 20 minutes i guess to ride maybe a little bit longer um doesn't have to but i usually i, I love riding my bike when i can so you know when i gotta be at tj's i live in mount pearl it's probably 
I don't know, 10 or 15 kilometers away, but I go the other way first. It, it's, it's slightly downhill though. So it's a, per you wouldn't even notice it looking, but when you're on there, you realize, especially coming back that you're going slightly downhill the whole way to P, uh, TJ's. So I like to go the other way for a little bit, you know, maybe get a coffee, go up. There's an experimental farm. I like to ride around that. Um, and then, you know, make my way downtown. But point being, so I did that one day and then that was the Darren Langdon chapter. Then there was the planet Hollywood. So I was sitting here watching the last dance with my dad going, you know, like I met on Netflix, by the way, the basketball show, um, which was awesome. And I told him, I'm like, Dennis Robin is talking about this time in 97, 98. And I said, you know, I met him shortly after that. Uh, it was the summer of, yeah, the summer of 98, right? So it was right after that final championship that they had won. And um, he happened to be at Planet Hollywood. So it was, it was an awesome awesome time in my life for a lot of reasons but that was really relevant so then i'm like jesus once i saw the last dance i said i gotta put this story in uh you know you want to pick relevant things that people are going to like too because i can do these like i don't know i could do at least another half dozen of these i really could um because i ended up just focusing so all those kind of anecdotal folklorish kind of uh, folk tales whatever you might call them well it, it's anecdotes but they're all from Montreal. So I, I had a bunch of stuff at Mun written about like junior, about playing in the minors, about senior hockey, about ball hockey, and I just couldn't get to it. So, which is kind of a good thing because it's still there if I ever want to go back, which I will at some point. But, um, you know, it was just a real hectic process. But anyway, as I sit you here talking to you today, no shit, it's September 1st. And I just finally, that second got done doing the captions. I reread it. Uh, it's been edited. Uh, Flanker Press are ready to go tomorrow morning. We, I just got the cover sent to me. And finally, it's, uh, it's a package. It's something. My book is done. And I don't really have to do much other than promote it from here. And uh, go town to town, which I'm going to do in Newfoundland and maybe even Atlantic Canada until the bubble opens up. And uh, spend some time promoting it and uh, talking about it and, and hockey in general. And selling it. So that's it. And, you know, again, again, it's my livelihood because I didn't think I'd have a book out this quick. Um, well, I mean, if you told me five years ago, I would have after the best-selling seller. But a few months ago, no, I, especially when I found out I had, you know, basically I had to write a book in, inside of a month uh, really is what, what would happen because I, I put it off until they told me that it could come out in the fall. I had a little bit, little bit extra written when they first said we might work together in June. But again, I didn't realize that would be so quick. So it was July at least, I think mid or late July. Jerry said, you know, if you got this done quick, then we could put it out in the fall. And of course, an opportunity for some employment and to make some more unemployment, but to make some money, uh, you know, during this time, it's so uncertain. I said, why the fuck not? Plus, plus I just wanted it out there. There's something to be said. It's, it, honestly, anybody out there that writes scripts or songs or plays or, or books or whatever it is, you know what the feeling's like? It's not writer's block that I had. It was just laziness. Like, I knew I could write it. I knew if I sat down for two or three hours, I can always pump out a chapter. It's just, because it, usually with that, you got to do some research and then you got to say, did I say that the right way? You got to call somebody and go, did this happen? Like there's a couple chapters in this book that holy fuck, I'm so glad I called people because I had like two or three things mixed into one. I had dates wrong and you don't want to, 
<clears throat> you don't want that to happen. I know sometimes people throw you a bone, but you know, then if, if it's me and I'm reading a book and there's like two or three things that are way off base, I'll say, you know what, what's everything else this guy's saying? You know, I, I hope, I hope he's not bullshitting. At no point did I try to bullshit ever. There was a couple of things. There's a story about my last NHL shift and I had how, how many games it was into the season. I, I had that incorrect. Uh, it was Dave Morissette fights Bob Probert. And I always thought I was on the bench in the second period and watched it. And sure enough, I went to YouTube. I had the story written. It was all edited. And I went to YouTube and sure enough, they go in the first fucking period. So then I had to call Moose. I couldn't get a hold of Moose. Morissette, Dave Morissette. And I just other people that were involved, either that, that, that were with the Canadians that saw the game or were Probert fans or, or I had to look into Probert's book because he talks about it. But yeah, like there was things like that. And I don't want to be factually incorrect on these things because even though by the end of the story, it's the same outcome because I know what I felt like and I know what I felt like when I fought Cam Russell that day. And I know that I had, you know, lace bite and all that, but how the story blends together is very, very important. Uh, not only from a factual point of view, but then there's like, how am I going to do it? Because once I realized that these stories were essentially incorrect, then, you know, because you'll often talk about something at the end of a chapter. So I didn't just have to change what I was looking at. I had to change basically, you know, little bits throughout before and after. So anyway, 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 the process was tedious to say the least. Um, I had, and that's what I would do, man. I'd do it. I'd stress myself out. I'd near my, my head would be like, what the fuck? How am I going to get this book done so fast? I'd write two or three chapters and then I'd go a week without doing it because I had to work. But then I would go down to turkeys or TJ's and, you know, then I would let some off some steam and, you know, it's, it's our place. So I was drinking for free. So I would basically, I mean, uh, so, you know, I, I let off some steam and, and, and tie one on it, which ended up being a great summer. It was just like, you know, just right, 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 right. Work on Hudson and Rex, work on Hudson and Rex, get off, get shit faced, just forget about it for a couple of days. Cause you're going to go right back to the chaos. And like I said, it was, I can handle it. It was just, uh, it was chaos. So anyway, that's why for the last month, especially there's been no podcast. Now, what I did do, and I want to mention before I go, uh, and I don't think I got a guest today, by the way, I literally <clears throat> stopped in. I, I figured I said the other day, the next time I have an hour or two to myself, um, I'm going to just do one and, and then I'll get to the guest next week. I just needed to get the weight off my shoulders again, the monkey off my back, so to speak. Um, because it was easy just to ignore, right? But anyway, I went to PEI. So one of the things I did have set up, and uh, I do some of these NHL alumni events, and it's great to have these books out there because, and you know, to do appearances on Chicklets and Letterkenny and stuff, because it makes me relevant. And, and what I mean by that is like a lot of these NHLers that do these alumni events, right? They're, they're stars. Uh, they're stars. I started to do them years ago. Uh, Dale Howarchuk, RIP, man, rest in peace, great guy. Passed away the other day. Dale kind of helped me start all these because he got me into the alumni games and he always believed in me. And he, um, he had me speak at some events. So that's what's great is that a lot of these people, 
and I'll get into that more later too. And I put it in my book. There's a section in and out of Dale Chower Tower Chuck. I grew up idolizing and he ended up being a friend. And that's not lost on me. I don't take that for granted. It's just another great part of my life that I don't speak of enough. Yes, I have all these great experiences, but it's with people like this. Dale Howardchuck was part of my favorite hockey sequence in all time, the, the 1987 Canada Cup. I was 10 years old. Check it out. Gretzky to Lemieux, but check out how that play starts. I still think he should have gotten an assist for winning the faceoff. But uh, anyway, so I really idolized Dale, but he had me. Uh, we became good friends. Um, but anyway, so, you know, over the years, yeah. I mean, at first, some guy with fucking parts of three seasons, eight official games played, you know, a minor league or other than that. You know, I don't care how, where I got drafted or, you know, the interesting stories that I have. There's people that do these alumni events and get paid well for it. And they're in, you know, they got more games played. And, and for, I would never, ever argue with that. That's great. But I, I like to get my foot in the door. So what would happen once in a while, they would play, say, in Newfoundland or Red Deer a bunch of years ago, like where I played junior or Moncton or Halifax, you know, Atlantic Canadians know who I am. So sometimes if they didn't have enough super duper like Hall of Fame kind of stars to go uh, or guys with hundreds of NHL games played, I would get the nod. Now, a lot of people on, you know, the smaller towns and everything hearing me on the podcast, they know who I am. And especially now with this podcast um, and with the books, right, these are platforms of relevancy. I know that sounds stupid and it's not the only reason I do it, but as I'm doing it, I realize that opportunities started to happen. So that's what Dale would say to me. He'd say, you know, we all are established in the NHL, but you know, you're don't ever sell yourself short. You're interesting. He had me speak at his golf tournament and paid me real good money, which I, I, I it still kind of continues to this day. Uh, that was four or five years ago. Um, but anyway, he would, and he'd say, you know, I'd get out there and I'd promote your book and you know, you can speak, you can, you know, golf with, with, with people at these events, you, you always got something to say. Uh, and he's like, you know, you got world ball hockey championships, you've acted. And, and he really, really, really went out of his way for me. And he's like, that's exactly what happened. So as time passed, I would get more and more of these events, right? And uh, it would be an honor every time. And I knew of four or five that I was going to do before COVID, but then this all happened. So I still had one in PEI, myself and Shane Corson. Tucker was, Darcy Tucker was going to go. Ron McClain, Ken Reed. But none of the boys could go because they were, we have an Atlantic bubble that's opened up, but we're not opened up to Ontario or any, anywhere else unless you quarantine. And who wants to do that for two weeks each way just to go to a golf tournament? So I went over there. Who's the celebrities with me? Uh, well, celebrities I use completely. That's a loose term, but again, they're short on them because it was the only the Atlantic bubble. Some of the NHLers that would have gone, again, like Sidney Crosby, for example, they're playing in the playoffs or the this kind of playoffs, whatever you're going to say. But in any case, the hockey season, even if even if you just got knocked out like Pittsburgh, um, this was a few weeks ago, yeah. Um, I think they were playing. In, in any case, um, you know, there was, there, there was no NHL hockey players uh, really available in Atlantic Canada. So it was myself, the Trailer Park Boys, um, got a few uh, wrestlers, I believe. Uh, Doug McLean was there. I believe Ann Murray. I didn't see her. Uh, Doug McLean was there. Uh, got Darcy Harris was there. I used to play with in Fredericton. Um, Hilliard Graves, although I kind of wanted to see him. Um, 
I missed him at that event. But but anyway, uh, the old uh, NHL player played for Vancouver. He's from uh, PEI. In any case, that was it. And there was no banquet like normal. So usually we have a tournament for a day. Maybe we have a second one. But this we did Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Now it's the boys and girls fundraiser. Usually I do it in Charlottetown. This year it wasn't in Charlottetown. They had it in, in Summerside. And normally, like I said, it's like a Saturday. This year, because we wanted to raise as much money as we could and we couldn't have a banquet or anything, and normally I would say speak at the banquet um, or entertain somehow, whatever it might be, maybe a, a few tables and I tell stories or I sell some books, whatever it might be, there's a social aspect that wasn't there this year. So uh, we went out. It was, it was awesome because we, Friday, Saturday, Sunday was the three tournaments, right? One big one kind of, but the three golf tournaments, different celebrities each day. I, oh, Lori Kane, the pro, pro golfer from PEI. She's awesome. I just met her this year. And that, even though we'd golfed together before, like in the same tournament, I didn't really meet her before. That was awesome. I think her and I might have been the only uh, – David Ling was there. Darren Langdon was there. I think her and I were the only ones that were there every single day, though, the common denominator. So, oh, and the trailer park boys. But anyway, what happens is that you see people that go to these things and want to say, meet Doug McLean or Ann Murray or like an actual celebrity, like the trailer park boys, or they'll come in and they'll get an autograph and they'll, you know, and these people might mill around and, you know, they'll see you. They might have a beer and go on. But people that bid on me assume that I'm just going to go off with them all day and get shit faced. <clears throat> and that's what happens. They assume correctly because that's the plan. But for me, it's a different approach than everywhere else. Even though we raise all kinds of money, they'll usually put me with a young group or it doesn't have to be young, but usually is a group that, you know, is, is going to get out of the suds right off the bat, maybe have a few joints, tell some stories. And um, so, yeah, so that was, there was no exception this year. Uh, right off the bat each day, the first group, I can't remember. I wish if you're listening to this, cause I know the boys listen, I can't remember their names, great people, but I just didn't know them before. Uh, now I do. And every time we go back, we'll hang out. Um, but first and last names, I forget. Um, second day, Mikey Cameron. So Mikey Cameron graduated with my buddies as uh, locally, um, Steve Spock, Kelly, Gary Clark, the shark, uh, Chad Graham. Stevie Halfyard. So all these guys graduated from St. Mary's uh, in the 2000s. They're my buddies. And Mikey Cameron was there with them. So the second day, I get Mike and his buddies. And we're off to the races, like, immediately. We were doing shooters on the first hole. Um, and so that in itself was a laugh. The, the, and the third day, a good buddy from home, Jeremy Bryan from Newfoundland, he was head of the group. And, and same thing, the boys are, I guess, what, around 40 and, uh, you know, just ready to go. So, and all the, the rest of their groups, all of them were in their 20s. So they were kind of working with a, a specific organization, wanted to bid on me, promised that I'd show them a good time. Now that I did, but what a laugh. So both the, for Saturday and Sunday, tarps off. If you follow me on Instagram, just check it out. But we had our shirts off immediately. Um, and I mean doing shooters immediately. Um, Jesus, yeah. Smoking, uh, smoking weed, you know, pretty much right off the bat. Um, taking some gummy bears. <laughs> I won't divulge on everything we did, but none of it was good for a golf tournament. <laughs> you can imagine. So, 
Uh, fuck. And then the, the third day, yeah, so everybody had like a cutout. It looked like a cardboard cutout, but it was made of like fiberglass or something. Trust me, it would break your arm if you hit it. But anyway, they're all like, so my action shot in Montreal was from an exhibition. I, I remember the exact shot because I was wearing assistant captain and I only wore that in exhibition or in Fredericton. But um, anyway, it was a great shot. And, uh, but it's just sitting there, like, say, on hole number seven or whatever, like par four, par five, and you're going out, oh, there's, there's Terry's cutout. So anyway, we hijacked it, and we took it, and uh, we had darts coming out of his mouth. We had him drinking beers. It was just a fucking blast. And then uh, we got so drunk that we went in after. I mean, they give you food and everything. It's just like not, not a normal banquet, like with speakers and all that, like it normally would be. So we went in, man, and we ate our food, and we got shit-faced, kept our distance, and a few of the boys fell asleep. But to Jeremy Bryan and uh, to Mikey Cameron and everybody else, I really and well, uh, every those guys were the ones that helped, uh, you know, or sorry, that bid on me. But everybody else involved with the tournament, I know that listened to this, and there's too many to mention. But thank you, everybody. What a fucking blast I had. I mean, and, and it was welcome time for it in the midst of all this chaos. It, it made life seem a bit normal for for a while. Um, so thank you. Um, and it was an absolute blast. Now, of course, I got to take off again here fairly soon, but I want to get to hockey a little bit. What do I think of it? So here's what happened. I honestly can't remember if I talked about hockey, if it was started the last podcast I had on here or not. But what do I think of it? Okay, uh, quick, some, some quick takes here. Uh, I picked Colorado versus Tampa in the final. So right now, as I speak to you, Tampa just moved on to the semis. Uh, and Colorado's down three to two, although they had a convincing win last night on Dallas. I love Dallas. I love Dan- Jamie Ben. Uh, he's one of my favorite players. You would have, you know, I, I, I came out of the Western League in the 90s. I like guys that are, you don't have to be fucking throwing down every minute. I get it. You don't have to be busting people's faces. But Ben plays hard. He's a big body. And uh, he's the kind of guy that would have been successful coming out of that Western League back then. So uh, not only that, I just like the way they play. And I love, uh, Tyler Sagan, you know, I never could understand how he got traded right off the bat as such a big pick when Boston won the cup. But I like him as a player, and I know he's flashy. And uh, by that, I mean he's sometimes inconsistent. But I love watching them play. Uh, Now, that being said, I I think I'm going to go ahead and here's another take. I think Connor McDavid, or sorry, fuck, uh, Nathan McKinnon is the best player in the NHL right now. And, um, I think until Sidney Crosby does has a season that's un-Crosby-like, I'm putting him at number one. Uh, but he's knocked out right now, so I'm saying of the players left. And, and, and I'm going to go one further. I'm putting McDavid, even, in a, even when the season starts in January or February or whenever it is, uh, I'm putting him at three. Uh, you know, show me a bit. Show me more. I, I, I don't think third in the NHL is a bad rating, but Crosby's Crosby, and again, until you at least get further into the playoffs, you can't tell me a guy that still plays like he does and still leads his team and really doesn't show any signs of, of, of slowing down, that has three cups and so many awards and so respected by his peers, until someone knocks him off. And by knocking him off, that would have to mean Sidney, you know, having an off year and McDavid at least making the second round. You know, just not, no more of this, like not getting in the playoffs or being knocked out in the first round. Show me you can do it. And uh, the individual stats are great. 
But years go by now, and Edmonton, as far as I see, McDavid, I think he's been in the playoffs, what, once? And not a real memorable playoff. Uh, and, and I love him, and he's Canadian, and Jesus, would I love to see him, you know, win the Conn Smythe and the, the Stanley Cup. It would certainly make me happy. But until something even close to that happens, or he gets way more points than Crosby, or wins like five Art Rosses in a row. Again, Drysdale won it this year. Um, he might have been on his way, but just until I see it, I just can't put him as number one. I can't put the number one player in the NHL, a guy who's been in the league for four or five years now at this point, and still hasn't gotten past the first round, not even close, and largely doesn't make the playoffs. Okay, I can't put him ahead of the guy he was going to unseat, which in my mind would have been Crosby. Now, that being said, though, Nathan McKinnon is doing it. They Colorado had little to no expectations during the time he's there. They've gotten better and better and better. And now I think there's a force. They've run into Dallas. But here we are at the end of the second round again, farther than uh, McDavid went. And I just think as a package, I like McKinnon for the same reason I like Ben, but, but McKinnon's better. Man, he's fast. He's a bullet. Is anybody seeing how fast this guy is for a big guy? His hands are unreal. He hits. He leads. He's tough. I, I don't know. I don't know. To me, if you were just to evaluate pure, just no one knew what was going on. If no one had numbers on their back and I was just an alien looking and I could, you know, I guess I'd have to know about hockey. But um, I'd pick McKinnon as the number one player uh, in the NHL. And knowing what I know, and I'm saying it's, it's Crosby. And, um, yeah, just something to think about. I think McDavid is... At the closest, number three, until he proves me wrong. And I don't, it's not like four end to end rushes every weekend. It's great that you can do that, but give me more results. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, but your team got to do a bit better. I wouldn't have put Steve Eisenman as one of the best ever either in his first years. He was putting up some great stats. You weren't going to say he was better than Lemieux or Gretzky, even though he was probably third during a large part of that time. But then once he started to win the cups, okay. Now you got your, 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 your placement. In, in. Unfortunately, it's not ahead of Lemieux or Gretzky because at those times they had some crazy stats and were leading their teams to cups, cups too. But, for example, I can't put Marcel Dion, who had unbelievable numbers, unbelievable. I can't put him in the same category. Did he even make the final? You know, he doesn't have a cup. Those other guys do. It's going to get harder and harder for the best players to win a cup now that we have 32 teams and probably going to be more. Probably be worldwide soon. Who knows? But, but, so what I'm saying is that, another easy argument I just said in my book, I know, I know Rocket Richard has eight cups, and I know Crosby has three, but I think Crosby's three in a league with 30 teams or more is at least as impressive as Rocket's eight when there's six teams in the league and you're playing on a dynasty. Again, I love him. I love the Habs. I love everything Rocket did. Everything. But to judge him on the cups or anybody in Montreal for that time. I mean, I guess you had to make Montreal and, and all that, but, you know, wasn't there a deal that they got all the French players anyway? So there's red flag number one. And number two, there's only six teams. So if you happen to hook in with a good team, I know you had to be a good player to be on it, but, you know, you're going to have multiple cups. Now, of course, it wasn't their fault it was a six-team league, and I believe Montreal got five in a row, which is the most ever. But again, it's easier to get five in a row when there's one-fifth or less 
teams. One fifth. Right? There's six fucking teams in Crosby's division. <laughs> right? You're talking about the first round. That being said, the Rockets, the Rocket. Now, I'll save it for my book Do you, you, for you to see who my top five players ever are. And don't get me wrong, I fucking love the Rocket, everything he did. What a movie it is. And, uh, you know, he changed and, uh, the game, the city. Oh, my God. You know, the, the way forwards approach the game, the way defensemen approach forwards. So I'm certainly not putting the Rocket down. But when you talk cups in the modern era, I don't think it can be the same. I don't think you can judge Patrick Kane and his two or three. Is it two or three? Um, I think that's as impressive as, I don't know, Larry Robinson's four, right? Or five, is it? Or whatever it is. It's just a different era. Um, and I'd actually give Robinson's and the late, the, the Canadians of the 70s, I'd give them the nod on the, not the Rockets, but on, on players from the 50s and 60s because they had to play against, you know, 21 teams, was it? You know, they're just, my, my fucking point is that the more teams are in the league, the harder it is to win. So, you know, number of cups is completely relative to those numbers. Um, in any case, I had Colorado-Tampa. I hope it happens. If it does, I'm going to make myself some money. I'm in a few hockey pools. Leafs, I don't know, guys. I feel for you. Uh, I know, you, you, you know, the Habs win and you know, I get to use the alumni room. I say that every year. So people say, do you still cheer for the Habs? Well, kind of. I mean, I, I, my association with them is in a package. I'm, I'm happy that I'm always going to be alumni, and that's great to go up. But I, I don't actually, if they win it, I don't feel like, oh, we won. I'll, I'd never say those words if the Canadians win the Stanley Cup. But it's nice to, to be thought of, and you go up there as alumni. They treat you well. They set my friends up with tickets. You know, it, 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 I have no bad thing to say about the Habs. But do I cheer for them? Eh, maybe, you know, here and there. But I just like to see a Canadian team do well. The Leafs, I really, again, my friend David Roper is the trainer there. He's one of the equipment managers. So I do cheer for them, yes. He's from Mount Pearl. He's one of my real best friends here. So, you know, Habs fans out there that are upset with that, I mean, I don't know what to tell you. Just sometimes life comes in between fandom, man, and I, I like it to be interesting. I don't associate myself with one team. If it was one closest, obviously, to be the one I fucking played for. But I played in the Leafs organization, too. I played for St. John's, and Rope Dog's one of my best friends. And I want to see him win a Stanley Cup. That being said, I don't think he's going to do it until Toronto really figures some things out. Um, Leafs fans wanted to know what I think of this. <sighs> Before this year, I would have said I was surprised Bergevin got his job in Montreal still. And I'll get to that in a second. But I'm kind of surprised Dubas does, Kyle Dubas. And the reason, like, he obviously picks his team for analytically, right? Like, he, he really is heavy on the analytics. And I always think you need a bit more than in the playoffs. Every time a team wins it in the playoffs, they're, like, I'm, I'm sure Boston are good analytically, but they consistently do better than, than Toronto every year. Or in, they won a cup, what, I guess within the decade, it was nine or 10 years ago now, but then they were in the final last year, the year before last year. And then, you know, again, they, they always make a run and they got grit. And, you know, there's a difference between Marshawn and Chara and, and, and Bergeron and then, you know, some other players around the league, a, they've got experience B they take a lot less money than they're worth for their team and see they're gritty. 
Now the Leafs got three players. Put, put in perspective, of all the teams left now, as I speak to you on September 1st, 2020, there isn't one team left that has one player with over a $10 million contract a year. The Leafs were knocked out before the playoffs started, and they have three. Now, each of those three players are players I love to watch and I love to get behind. But unfortunately, they're three. They're taking up neither, nearly half the team's money, and it's hard to go out and get other guys. Right? It, it's just hard to do it. I think they need a lot more grit, not a little bit, a lot. I mean, Kyle Clifford barely played sometimes in the playoffs, and he's not a goon. He's a big player. He's a big body. Throw him out there. to hit. Like, uh, who was it? Seth Jones. Great defenseman, big guy. And I, I know people say, well, it doesn't matter because if Marner hits him, he's not going to knock him over. It's not, first of all, it's not just Marner. It's everybody. But Marner actually plays pretty hard. But it's playoffs. You flip it in behind his head. He has to turn around. He goes back to get it. He rims it one way or the other, and you finish your hit. Right? You're not, you probably won't score on that play. But it, you're, what are you doing? You're beating him down for the end of the game. You're tiring him out. You do that again. You do that again. It's not always the first or third line either or the fourth line. Every line. Do that. Taves does it. Kane does it. Crosby does it. Malkin does it. Why can't Austin Matthews do it? You know, if you, and I know, I mean, sometimes, but their game plan clearly wasn't to break down the other team. And I think Sheldon Keefe might be going on analytics too, but, you know, you can go so far with that. My analytics say that if I flip the puck up in and I hit uh, Seth Jones 90 times during the game, especially that one that went in overtime or double, was it? He played like 65 minutes. Wear him the fuck down. And then you will get your break late. Then the, the fucking 70th time you're doing it for the game, you know, he's going to go one way and he's going to be too tired and he's going to slip up and now you're going to get the puck and you're going to have a few feet and you're going to look in front and Tavares is sitting there for a one-timer. It might happen. all happen in a split second of two seconds, but during the course of the game, you've worn that guy down or those guys or whoever it might be. But, I mean, they're not crashing the net. They're not hitting. The Leafs look great. But, again, for three guys who are all forwards to get more than $10 million a year to get shut out on the last day. Ooh, this, that stinks. To get shut out. 60 minutes went by, and you couldn't put a puck in. And you're supposed to be, if you're giving me three guys that make more than 10 when Sidney fucking Crosby doesn't, and the whole of the Boston Bruins doesn't, and again, he Malkin doesn't. I, I, I just, you know, you've got to show me a goal or else this is wrong. Wouldn't you agree? You've got to show me a little bit more grit or else what we're doing isn't making sense. Now, I know they need D. I know it. And, and hopefully a right-handed shot who's all around. I don't know where they're going to get these guys at this point. Yes, Alex Bailey Pedrangelo fits the bill. But how the fuck are they going to get him? Now, if those guys just took, just took like $9 million each, they could get them. And what's wrong with $9 million? Or if two of them were to take eight point five or whatever it is, or, you know, I'm not knocking the players that have the contracts. I love watching each of them, each of them. Not, I can go beyond that. I can go, there's so many leaps that I love watching from Tavares, Marner, and Matthews, obviously. Um, but you know, Nylander when he's on, I don't, and, and, and even though he held out his six point, whatever is looking like a steal compared with the other guys, but it's only cause it's compared with the other guys on his own team. But I believe, I think Marchand and, and Bergeron and, and even McAvoy just resigned without even thinking just boom. 
And I believe all of them get under market value. I think of, I, I think, well, McAvoy's in a different bird because he's younger, but I'm saying, let's just say Marshawn and Bergeron, my two favorite forwards outside of Pasternak or Krejci or any of them that have come across in the last few years and really been juggernauts or DeBrusque. I mean, there's a lot that I like, but you know, let's just say two of those guys being older and having won so much and they take, you know, considerable amount less money. I think six point odd each. Chara, I mean, I know he's old, but over the course of his, the last bunch of contracts that he signed with Boston, he probably could ask for more. Well, someone's got to stand up in the Leafs room. Uh, and I don't know, at this point, they really can't because the, the contracts are signed, so you're stuck with them now. So you got those three. And I love them. I don't want one of those players to be one of the players that they have to get rid of. But they've backed themselves now into a corner, and that might be the case. Um, and, you know, it, it, it's a hard sport to rely on two or three players or four or five or whatever it might be. And, you know, I hate to say it, but Freddie Anderson, make a save. Just make a big one. You, his numbers are pretty good, at times great. Um, but I don't know. Uh, just if, if you want to talk slight tweaks, I don't think the Canadians have as good of a team, but they had Price. Price stood on his head a couple of those games that they beat Pittsburgh. Yes, he did. And then even in the second round, fuck, man. Like, Price still played pretty well some of those games. Now, for that matter, Montreal, at this point, trade the motherfucker, please. Okay? It was a valiant effort this time. But now you're losing Price now. You're going to start losing. And he put on a show. He probably has a year or two of that, hopefully three. But I'm just going by age and science. I'm looking at what happens to people. It's science. I went through it myself. I'm going through it, whatever you're going to say. I'm sure if I was in the NHL, it would be real noticeable. I'm playing senior hockey. So when I say I still play and everything, yeah, you can still play. But no doubt that your reactions and your reflexes and your thinking and your hockey IQ, it has to start tailing off. Again, I'm playing fucking senior. Chara's my age playing in the NHL still. So that stuff has that. Now, price is what? Early 30s? Let's just see. Let's see what price is. Yikes. I just looked. He's 33. Okay. So time's a ticking. And uh, 33 years old. Um, no matter what way you slice it in the NHL, that's no spring chicken. Uh, and that's not much time to work. I'd trade him immediately. Unless he doesn't want to go, fair enough. Then he can sit there and you might have a chance every year you have him. And who knows? Maybe he's good for another 10 years. I'm just saying, if I'm if I'm Bergevin at this point, I'm, I'm doing it with, it, it's not like Pocklington trading Gretzky in the late 80s either. This is giving a guy, this is giving the team the best chance to win in the future and the best way to pad their stats with their, or sort of pad their system and to get some depth. And this is giving him the best chance to win. So I think it's a win-win, but you got to do it now or you're going to get each day that passes, at least each month, you're going to get less and less and less for Carey Price. And this time next year, if they don't do it, and he's 34, I don't know. Um, did the Canadians, you know, some Habs fans around there here are upset. I'd have to say, guys, think about what you're upset about. For the love and honor of God. But first of all, if I was a Habs fan, I'd only really, around here in Newfoundland, it's like Habs versus Leaps. Yes, there's other, if Boston comes a close third, but you know, there's Habs fans that give it to Leafs fans and everything else. If I was a Habs fan, I would say, you know, 
you guys had, the Leafs had so much expectation and all this, these contracts. And, you know, there, there was Stanley Cup talk and, and they didn't even make the playoffs. The, 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 the Canadians, while, while, you know, I think they have a decent team. I don't think the expectations were the same. And they, again, they made it further. But at this point, if you trade price and you have any kind of a goalie at all, I don't know what they got coming up in the system, though. But, um, and I'm too lazy to look at it right now. So you look, uh, it, meaning I, I know what they had like up top. I don't know what they have in the uh, minors or, or just drafted. Um, but, you know, you can get some great players. And, and I, I don't know, but I, I can't really get rid of Druin. He just does a whole lot of nothing. Truan looks unbelievable, like Guy Lafleur one game, and his hair's flowing, and he's flying, he's going down the wing, and he's beating five players, and he's fucking dangling, and he looks like a fucking rocket out there. And then other games, you don't notice him. And, and, and sometimes you notice him, but he does a whole lot of nothing. You know what I mean by that? Like, he just has the puck, and he's dangling around, and he's going really nowhere, and he has it for like 30 seconds, and then it just ends up being dumped in. You know what I mean? Like, just for, for how dynamic he looks, Fuck, his numbers certainly don't match. <clears throat> now, of course, you know he's better than me. Whatever, everybody can always say that. The, the amount of messages I get after I say these things: "Well, you suck." Oh, who are you to say? Who am I to say? I'm saying as a hockey fan, you're asking me if the fucking Habs will win or not. I'm just saying, I don't know. I don't know with that guy as a leader. I just don't. And I know that you get a lot for Carey Price right now, and I'd be doing it. Okay. Woo! How long have I been talking? And uh, so, yeah, I, I wasn't even sure. I don't think I'm going to have a guest today. At least it's some fucking content for you. Uh, <clears throat> and if you're a fan, a listener, I really apologize. I'll get to more soon, but you will. You will follow me on Instagram, uh, Terry Ryan 2020, uh, Twitter, Terry Ryan 20. And uh, more posts go to Instagram now when it comes to this book, because I'm going to start posting some pictures and everything else, but it's coming real soon. Pre-orders flanker press. Again, just follow me on, on Instagram. If you want pre-orders or whatever it might be, but that is the reason. So the reason I've been putting off these particular stories on my podcast is because I was working on other particular stories for my book. This has been, what the fuck? <laughs> it's been tales with TR. Thanks a lot. Um, and, uh, yeah, no guests today. And uh, good luck to everybody. Uh, you'll hear about my sponsors in a little bit. I kind of left them out. I'm going to leave it to the Hockey Podcast Network to fill in those blanks. Uh, thanks for listening. And uh, fuck it. We'll just we'll, we'll listen. We'll, we'll talk. We'll catch up with you guys all next week. Okay, I'll have a great guest. I think it might be Jody Shelley. We've agreed on it. And we just got to read it, re- agree on the time. In any case... Love you guys. I'll catch you on the rebound. Take care. Talk next week. Yo! Yo!